0: not the most dignified way to do this, but I was reaching with my hand all first service trying to find a bottle of water, and I couldn't find it, and I saw that it was there, so going for it. Uh, So anyway, good morning. Well, this morning I've got uh, a good word from the Lord, and uh, discipleship in Galatians 2, but it's also a difficult word, and uh, I was joking with him at first service and said, that this sermon forced some uh, self-reflection upon me because it's a sermon about how to say difficult or uncomfortable or unpleasant things to someone and they said, have Mike do it. Um, Which I don't know if that's telling me something about me or anything else, but I actually have to confess from the outset what I'm about to tell you is something that I'm still struggling to live into. This is not something I have down. I'm not teaching from years of Wisdom and experience on this. I am learning uh, this uh, along with you. And there's a uh, there's a book I just read about a month ago, which I would uh, I'd recommend if if I describe it and it sounds good, go read it. Only caveat: it's not a Christian. There are things in the book that uh, you know, language and illustrations that would make some people uncomfortable. But uh, it's a very helpful book by a woman named Kim Scott. Kim Scott trains managers at Google and Apple. Right, So like, if you name the places where, like, the best work culture in the country, Google and Apple are right at the top. And she trains the people that build that culture. Um, and so the, the name of her book is called Radical Candor. It's, uh, you know, brutal honesty is another way to say it. But what's radical about it is she defines radical candor as caring personally and challenging directly. Now, this is the point where uh, every consultant in the room is going to be happy because there's a grid. Um, So we're going to put that on the screen and we all love grids though, right? Um, And so what she says is this this combination of caring personally and challenging directly is the top right corner That's what she calls radical candor So if you care about someone and you challenge them directly to their face and deal with the issue Don't beat around it. That's called radical candor now Where you can go wrong is if you care personally about someone, but you're unwilling to challenge them in a direct way. She calls that ruinous empathy. That's a love that will destroy you. If you care so much about someone, but you can't say a hard thing to them. Now, on the other hand, if you're really, really good at challenging people directly, but you are not good about caring personally about them, that's called obnoxious aggression. And then the final one, if you're not good at caring personally or challenging directly, you're called a sociopath. But (laughs) her term is manipulative insincerity. So you want to be caring personally and challenging directly. And uh, this is something, and you now may be wondering, well, what does this have to do with our Bible passage? What does this have to do with being a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus? And Uh, What I'll submit to you today is that disciples of Jesus should strive for radical candor. Jesus was radically candid. Paul demonstrates radical candor today. Uh, And then the challenge for us will be, you know, how do we move forward with this? Um, And so as a Christian, this is the hard thing. As a Christian, you have to be willing to look at another Christian, another friend, and just... Right across the table from them say, You know, I'm going to say something, and it's going to hurt you, but I'm not saying it to hurt you. It will wound you, but I don't, I don't want to wound you. I'm not saying it to wound you. I'm saying it to help you. Uh, and that is a really hard place to be, yet that's where we find uh, ourselves needing to be most of the time. And Proverbs 27.6 says it this way. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means it is better to be wounded by someone who loves you than to be kissed by someone who's not a friend. So it's better to receive pain pain and treatment and wounds from friends who care about you and who love you than it is to be to be talked nice about or to by someone who's an enemy. Uh, and now I, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the Galatians. Two eleven through 16, and as you turn there, I'm going to invite you to pray. You can uh, pray with your eyes open if you're flipping. That's okay. God still hears it. Um, Father God, we thank you for uh, your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge uh, that this demands of us. We thank you for the godly examples of your apostles and disciples uh, throughout the ages and, and even those who we know in our lives. Uh, we just pray that you would use this word uh, sharper than a two-edged sword to uh, mold and shape us into the people that you would have us become. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So there's going to be one thing here that confuses you. I'm not going to go into it because I don't have time to do a full thing, but do so you see the name there, but when Safest, well, we're going to substitute out Peter. If we're talking about Peter, it's another uh, another name of his and you know, he gets, you know, Peter and rock and Safest and Pet- well A good study Bible can help you out. A commentary can help you out. I can help you in the atrium after the service. But for the save time, I'm going to say Peter when I read it uh, and just know that we're talking about Peter. And this is Paul talking. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men uh, came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like a Jew? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because works of the, by works of the law, no one will be justified. So, Paul here is demonstrating radical candor. right? The first sentence, I opposed him to his face. Um, that's, as, that's as radical and candid as you can get. Uh, And so for a Christian, uh, you know, in this situation, this is both the best and worst news you can receive. Uh, Peter is finding out in this conversation that you're not acting in line with the gospel. That should terrify you as a Christian. That's not what you want to hear. That's the worst news. But the best news is that someone nearby you cares enough about you and loves Jesus enough that they're willing to say that to you. And so it is a bittersweet moment for for Peter here, and it's very difficult for Paul to say these things. Uh, But this is actually, in and of itself, this is a way in which discipleship and fellowship and the church are God's gifts to us. Through other Christians, they can see the ways that we are stepping out of line with the gospel. And if we're living into the life that we're called to be as disciples, we'll be saying that to one another, and we'll be inviting it. One another, And so there's a little bit of, of background here uh, that if, if you want to write it down for a Bible study later this week or later this afternoon, Acts chapter 10. Just read the entire story. Just write that, you know, you've got a little sermon spot on your bulletin. Write down Acts chapter 10. Um, but I'm just going to read a couple quick verses from it here. Uh, basically what happens is Peter uh, receives these three visions from the Lord. Now this is Peter, the one who sometimes is a little slow on the uptake with things. Uh, It takes him a little bit of time to learn some things. Three visions in a row from God telling him not to call things unclean which God has made clean, which at the time he's talking about animals, but he then realizes very soon further down the page that he's talking about people, talking about Gentiles. He's saying, don't call Gentiles unclean when I've made them clean. Uh, And so it takes Peter three times, and then here... We get his understanding of it. And then by Galatians, he's not understanding it again. But here it is, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Uh, And there's there's a, a few other verses I could point out, but I think that is enough to get the point across. And the point is, Paul is not inventing some doctrine or dogma or weird statement Uh, just to create a problem here. What Paul is doing is calling Peter back to a mutually held conviction. They both already believe this thing that Paul is asking Peter to do. It's just Peter isn't doing what he says he believes. And so he calls him a hypocrite. And he says even Barnabas, whose name means the brother of encouragement, who's a great encouragement throughout the the entire New Testament, even he has been led astray by Peter. And so this is invoked um, Paul's... uh, Loving wrath. Uh, So then you have to say, okay, how is it, Peter, who so clearly said, "I truly understand that God shows no partiality"? How is it that that Peter in 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 Galatians, when when Paul's bringing it up here, how is that Peter not acting in line with that conviction? And there are three answers uh, that are kind of they're all one, but they're all three components of the same answer, really. Peter is guilty of classism, he's guilty of nationalism, and he's guilty of racism. And, and Paul is calling him out on those. Now see, he, the, the real situation here is Peter's ministering to the Gentiles, which in Jewish times you were not supposed to be eating with them, spending time with Gentiles, non-Jewish people, uh, but in light of the gospel, you guys, there's no partiality, to Jew or Gentile, and so here he is, Peter is ministering to the Gentiles. However, when the Jews come to town, he pulls back and doesn't hang out with the Gentiles anymore. He doesn't want to be seen hanging out with that different race, that different class, that those people from a different country in front of the people from his own country. Now, so he's 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 almost got it right. He's ministering to the Gentiles, but not in front of the Jews, and that's a problem. That's a problem, where, and we see where his heart is. Um, and so, there are three, three points here that I'd like to make, um, which I know you've never heard a pastor make three points before. But there are three different ways of looking at this. And the first, I think this is important. We need to look at this passage from Peter's perspective. And the the idea here for Peter is think about who Peter is. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. He spent three years learning ministry from Jesus himself. You don't get more authentic than that. When Jesus withdraws into a smaller circle, it's Peter. He's there. He's always at Jesus' side for three years, so he knows Jesus intimately. He denied him on the night of his betrayal, was restored by the resurrected Jesus himself, and he preached on the day of Pentecost, the launching party for the church Essentially thousands of people were saved and where was paul all of this time Peter is walking with jesus He's launching the church. He's preaching people were getting saved. Where's paul? He's persecuting the church All through that time under the name. His name was saul And so i've got to think if i'm peter at least one thought I have is Who are you to tell me how to live the christian life paul? I've been doing this since you were persecuting the church But here's the point is you never, ever outgrow correction as a Christian. And there's no, there's no ranking system in the kingdom, right? It's not like, well, so-and-so's, you know, he's a level 12, and he doesn't get correction from a level 4. And uh, it's not like that. No matter where you are, if your faithfulness to the gospel is the ultimate measuring stick. And so that's how Peter is able to accept this correction from Paul, which he does, to Peter's credit. Um, but I have to wonder, you know, is he thinking, man, of all the guys, the guy who's, you know, throwing Christians in jail and persecuting the families, uh, this is the guy God chooses to correct me with. Um, it's a slice of humble pie. Uh, but the second angle, which I think is just as challenging, is Paul's perspective. How does Paul, uh, what you know, what might be going through his mind here, and, and the point we w- want to learn from Paul is that you are never too young in the faith to offer gospel-centered correction. I don't care if you came to Jesus for the first time five minutes ago. If you see another Christian acting out of line with the gospel, it is your responsibility to call them back to the gospel. And so, older Christians, you need to be able to receive that. Younger Christians, you need to be not be afraid to give that. There's no pecking order like that in the kingdom. And so, if Peter, you know, has these thoughts. Uh, about Paul, I'm sure Paul has them in reverse. Who am I to correct Paul? You know, he's at Jesus' side, the restored, resurrected Jesus uh, Himself. You know, charged Peter with this task to feed his flock and care for his people. But the gospel cuts across seniority and rank. There's no such thing as our human ranking system and tenure uh, when it comes to the gospel. And so, the third point I'd like to make, and I think this is the most important one. And this deals with the heart issue that Peter is having, is that our gospel culture transcends our race, class, and socioeconomic standing. Now, there's a really helpful image here uh, from a pastor that I I read and listen to. His name is Thabiti Anyabwile, and he's a pastor down in, I believe, the Cayman Islands now. And uh, he used this illustration. How many of you are familiar with the Pro Bowl? Raise your hands. For the NFL, it's the all-star game. They call it the Pro Bowl. How many of you keep your hands up if you watch the Pro Bowl? They all went down. You know why? Because the Pro Bowl is lame. You know why it's lame? It is lame. It, the The viewership has gone down for seven straight years. They're hitting the panic button with the Pro Bowl, but the the reason it's lame is because they slap on these jerseys, the AFC or NFC, for one day. They don't really hit that hard. They don't really tackle. They're not really trying that hard. Uh, And the reason is, you know, they don't want to get hurt for something more important. And what helmet? Does anybody know what helmet you wear in the Pro Bowl? Your own. Your own team. Tabidi Anyabuile says a lot of times church is like the Pro Bowl. You come to church and you slap on the gospel jersey, but you keep on your helmet. And you say, this is who I really am. This is the team I really play for. Whether it's your race or your socioeconomic background. Or what's the number one question you get asked by fellow Cincinnatians? Where'd you go to high school? That's another helmet you put on. And you say, you know, for me, I'm an Oak Hills Highlander. I'm not actually proud of that at all. Um, <laughs> so I'm fine to give up that helmet. But that's why the Pro Bowl is lame and... Our churches, when we act like pro bowl players, are lame. If you only slap on your gospel jersey for Sunday morning, you're never going to live into the gospel the way that you're supposed to. You're not going to receive the correction that you need to receive. You're not going to give the correction you need to give, and you're going to let everything else pilot your life. You're going to let anything else be the center of your identity. And we're, I mean, everybody is looking for that thing to center their identity on, And we'll take almost anything but Jesus. Am I right? Anything but Jesus. You know, our race, our money, our uh, neighborhood. We grew up in our high school. We went to the jersey we wore in college. Anything other than Jesus. And so that is why we need this correction. But there's something even deeper than our behavior because we're not talking about simply doing behavioral adjustment. That is not Paul's concern for Peter. He doesn't want him to just say, hey, knock that off. He wants this to sink into his heart and his mind. There's something deeper at stake here. And when you read verse 15 and 16, you find out what it is. It's, he says, your attitude is wrong. This is what's causing the problem, is your wrong thinking is leading to long behavior. And hear this, if you only hear one sentence today, this is the sentence. If you're writing one thing down, this is it. God did not choose fellowship with you on the basis of race or culture. So how dare you choose fellowship with other people on the basis of race or culture? That is how God comes to you. He does not care about that. God shows no partiality, as Peter himself said in Acts 10. So how can we then show partiality if we're, acting, if we're living like Jesus, if we've been saved by Jesus and we're living like Jesus? How could we do something that Jesus himself would not do. God came to us. He entered our world into our flesh. He died for our sins at our hands. And it, with his Holy Spirit, he pursues each of us. And he doesn't do so by our criteria. And so based on this correction, we know that Paul is actually less concerned with Peter's behavior, although obviously the behavior needs to be fixed. But he's more concerned with the attitude that leads to the behavior. So I have three questions for you this week. And here's your, if you're looking for an application or a way to process this, here are three questions that you need to ask yourself, and this will help you figure out where you need to grow. And the first question is, can I give this type of correction? This, I mean, that is a very uncomfortable thing to say to another person. You're not living according to the gospel. It's easy to say to a stranger, uh, probably easier to say to a stranger than a friend or a family member. Um, But that's, that's a difficult thing to say. And so you say, you know, wh- what would it take for me to be more direct? Do I need to be more direct or more loving or more of both? Uh, and, and by the way, my answer to all these three questions is I'm, I'm guilty of each one. I need growth in all these areas, so it's not one or the other. But question number one, can I give this type of correction? Can I be radically candid with other people when it comes to fidelity to the gospel and love of Jesus? The second question is the opposite. Can I receive this type of correction? Can I receive it when someone else gives it to me? Is my loyalty to Christ and his gospel, or is it to my own ego? And Proverbs 12.1, I, I picked a different translation on purpose because I really like the way this hits. Proverbs 12.1 says it this way, Those who love discipline love knowledge, and those who hate correction are stupid. I don't know if you're reading the same Bible line, but the Bible just called me stupid. And that's God's word. Those who hate correction are stupid. That's from the the, uh, CEB, by the way, Uh, but it's a perfectly valid translation. Uh, Those who love discipline love knowledge, which means I must not love knowledge as much as I think I do, Uh, and those who hate correction are stupid. And so can I receive this type of correction? Will I receive that from another Christian? The third question. So, question one, can I give this type of correction? Question two, can I receive this type of correction? Question three, and this is the most important one, does my love of Jesus and his gospel change my social allegiance? Do I care more about being faithful to Jesus than my political views, or my part of town, or my income, or my job? Do I care more about being faithful to Jesus? than anything else. Is is Jesus more important to me than my race, my class, my country, my social group? And so to be clear here, we're not looking at Peter here to scoff at him because Peter is doing something that each of us can be and most of us are guilty of doing. And so if you feel like you're struggling with this, there's a couple things you can do. Whichever question you're struggling with, in in my case all three, you can ask another Christian for accountability. You can invite them in, say, give me this correction when I need it, and let me give it to you when you need it. Uh, and if you're looking for a place, you say, okay, that's a great idea, but I don't know where to do it. Might I recommend you find the connection groups, which we've been talking about this month. There's a board out in the atrium, and this is an eight-week uh, uh, discipleship experience is the best way to describe it and it ends by giving you a personalized from the person who's been getting to know you and talking to you for eight weeks they give you a personalized plan for growth and say this is this is the area i need to grow are the action steps i will take to grow and that's sometimes what we need to grow uh and and so uh, or maybe think about it this way if you're struggling uh with any of these problems uh, think about your time on Sunday morning here. Who do you sit next to in church? Where do you spend the middle hour? Do you go to a class where all of your friends are and and you kind of stay isolated from the other believers at our church? Or will you be willing to branch out and say, you know, I'm going to go to this class because I don't know this person and I need to know this person because they have correction to give me in how I walk with Jesus. Uh, or even if you're just here and you're not in a class and you're in the atrium having... One of the best cups of coffee in town, by the way. And you decide, you know, I'm going to sit with someone else this week. I'm going to learn from someone else. I'm going to open myself up to more Christian feedback. We'll just open that circle of accountability as widely as I can because I need input from everyone here if I want to be as much like Jesus as I can be. And so your three questions, and this is your three challenges for the week. One, can I give this type of correction? Can I say something Where it will wound you, but I'm not saying it to wound you. I care about you, I want you to be better, and that's why I have to say something hard. Can you receive this type of correction? And does your love of Jesus and his gospel change your social allegiance? Would you please join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word, uh, even when it finds us guilty, especially when it finds us guilty. We pray that your word this morning would be a catalyst for change, that the Holy, your Holy Spirit would convict each one of us of uh, the ways that we need to grow and the ways that we are guilty of not living like we should. And uh, we pray for uh, one another that we would become conduits of Your grace. That we would be uh, gracious towards one another. We would be loving, but we would also be willing to say hard or unpleasant things to one another. Give us that courage. Give us that boldness, and give us that love uh, for our neighbor. Uh, it, give us um, give us that grace when it's difficult. Uh, Give us grace to receive love from others when it's difficult. And we just pray that you would stoke our affection, that we may grow deeper in our love for you, our love for your Son, our love for your Spirit, our love for your Gospel, and our love for your people. We ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.